Hey everyone, welcome back to another episode of the Health Coach Ev Show Off the Air. We are actually live on the radio broadcasting in the greater Philadelphia area on WWDB 860 AM every single Wednesday from 10 AM to 11 AM Eastern Standard Time. So if you're not in the greater Philadelphia area, you can actually always check that out live by going to WWDBAM.com. Right at the bottom there, they have a play button. So if you click play right around 10 AM on Wednesdays, give it about 30 seconds and you'll hear us live. Uh, of course, we we always save those episodes as a podcast, which is available everywhere, pretty much same day, definitely within 48 hours of release. They're also on WWDB's website, and you can even download an app for WWDB. So there's a lot of different options for listening, so I hope you choose one of those and check them out. But the Health Coach Ev Show Off the Air what this is, is the pure podcast version. This allows us to do a couple things. One, it allows us to get way more content out there because one hour a week is just simply not enough to say everything we need to say and share all the things we want to share. Another purpose that it serves is it allows us to get different guests on and also highlight the guests that were only on originally, and this just changed recently. We were only having 30-minute episodes for the Health Coach Ev Show, and very quickly, thankfully, we got moved to an hour uh, long slot and Christina who is actually going to be the guest we're talking to today was actually our last 30 minute slot so of course we wanted to get her in for a longer conversation she has some amazing things to say and I really encourage you you can actually go back to its episode uh, 009 for the Health Coach Ev show. So it's not going to be one that says like OTA, which is off the air. You're just going to see uh, 009. Definitely go check that out first. It can be listened to separately, but it's kind of cool to add both because there was unique things said in each one. But nonetheless, I want to read Christina's bio again, just really quick so people know who she is and what she's all about. Christina Demick is the founder and owner of Agile Wellness Solutions. She's a functional wellness and life coach where, uh, excuse me, whose mission is to educate and empower individuals to tap into their own healing power in order to obtain optimum wellness. She helps clients build their healing toolbox using approaches based on Western medicine, Eastern philosophy, and healing practices, and energetic healing as well. With a multimodal approach, Christina found her path as a wellness coach through her own healing crisis. She is a mold, lime, heavy metal, and virus warrior that has traveled the path from chronic illness to wellness. Through her own struggles and determination, she healed herself and is now helping others find their own path to wellness and vitality. I had such a fun time talking to her on the radio show. Had a hu uh, another fun time talking to her on the off-the-air one. So there's even a chance Christina's going to come on a third time because this woman has a lot of cool things to say. And we'll be jumping into the interview with her right after these quick messages from our wonderful sponsors. Hey, Health Coach Ev here. When you know that you or a loved one would do better mentally with something more than what their current doctor is doing, you can head over to the Patient Experience Center at dhalab.com. View their advanced brain chemistry consultations to quickly and easily test and optimize with an MD. You can take brain health into your own hands today with a 10% discount. Use the code HEALTHCOACHEV when checking out for a 10% discount on any test and consultation services. Guys, I use these people personally when it comes to getting blood work for clients. They are absolutely fantastic, good heart with a great mission. Uh, please use them. It's dhalab.com. And speaking of mental health, if you're a parent who wants to understand the mental health challenges your child faces, then Lucas Wolf's new book, My Perfect Life, How Depression Almost Ended It and How I Found Purpose Through Pain, is for you. Through goofy, relatable stories, you'll see the world from the eyes of someone silently battling depression. More importantly, you'll learn how Lucas found hope and purpose through his pain. 
You can get your copy of My Perfect Life today. It's available on Amazon, and that is Lucas Wolf with an E. If you'd like to hear more about Lucas's story as well, you can actually check him out on Episode 4 of the Health Coach Ev Show. It's available on all major podcast platforms. Hey, Allie, how's it going? Not so great, Health Coach Ev. It's the holiday season. What? Shouldn't that mean you are merry and jolly? Well, I'd like to feel that way, but my family's coming to my house this year. That means that I'll have to deal with the embarrassment of my dog, Skippy, jumping all over them as soon as they walk in the door. Oh, that old Skippy. Hey, I have just the solution for you, though. Have you heard of Eric Katz with Cats, Dogs, Canine? Cats, Dogs, Canine? Yeah, Cats, Dogs, Canine. Eric Katz is a great friend of mine who has been in the dog business for years now. He offers doggy daycare, boarding, and training for Bucks in Montgomery County. The guy's got more five-star Facebook reviews than you can count, and he even won Best of Montgomery County for boarding and pet training. So you're telling me that Eric can get Skippy to finally stop jumping on people and embarrassing the heck out of me? You bet. I actually lived with Eric for a while and saw him fix issues like that in a matter of two to three weeks. The guy's a dog whisperer. Okay, okay, I'm in. Where can I find him? You can get in contact with Eric by heading over to catsdogsk9.com. Cats is spelled K-A-T-Z. That's catsdogsk9k9.com. When you give him a call, tell him you know Health Coach Ev. Hey, are you looking to increase your credibility and grow your health coaching business so that you can confidently solve health issues? Perhaps you have been struggling with your own health and want not only to help yourself, but also help others. Well, we have the course for you. Functional Diagnostic Nutrition provides you with cutting-edge functional lab assessment training, access to lab testing, and other resources to continuously enhance your knowledge about functional health practices so you can actually fix the health issues you or your clients are facing. This all enables you to create a successful referral-based business globally by doing what you love while positively impacting others. Upon completing the course, you also become board-certified through our partnership with the American Association of Drugless Practitioners to enhance your credibility. We are here to support people on a deeper level to get real results and grow your health coaching business. To talk to someone and learn more, you can email fdninfo at afdnp.com. That's fdninfo at afdnp.com. Guys, FDN is actually the certification I got several years back. Fallon's going through it right now. Changed my life. Fallon, are you liking the course? Oh my gosh, yeah, it's so fun. Cool. So, all right, two for two. You guys got to check it out. Christina, thanks so much for being here yet again with us on the Health Coach Ev Show. How are you doing today? I'm great. Thanks for having me again. Yeah, no problem. So as many of you already know, we've only had a few real episodes of the Health Coach Ev Show off the air. What we're doing here is one of two things. We're either further interviewing guests who have already been on the show and talking to them more in depth because, you know, 30 minutes or even an hour sometimes just isn't enough (laughs) to get all the information that these people have. We're really bringing on some people who have studied their respective subjects very deeply and they have great things to say. Or every now and then we bring on someone that, you know, we couldn't really schedule them into the show. It just conflicts of interest didn't work out. And we still want to get them on the podcast, though, so people can hear them. Today is definitely the first case. Christina was back on the air in November of 2020. So depending on when you're listening to this might be pretty recent or a little farther down the road. But we wanted to kind of just jump into some slightly different topics than what we were going about 
going on about before. And on these off the air episodes, it is much more free flowing. So if you're someone who loves those types of conversations, that's great. If you're someone who likes more of the structure bullet point type of thing, then the radio show is definitely for you. But either way, we try to mix a good bit of both in either show. So definitely, if you haven't heard anything from Christina yet, I would go check out that 30 minute, uh, what's now a podcast and just go back, you know, a few episodes. And then with this one, you probably will understand a lot more and it'll make a little more sense. So Christina, we'll start off with something a little more simple, I guess in our world at least. And that's why we don't treat the symptoms. I mean, I always ask our, our guests, what are some things they want to talk about? And this is one of the bullet points you had for me is why we don't treat the symptoms. So I have an opinion on that. I'd love to know what that means to you. Yeah. So we touched on this when we talked before. So I was mm-hmm. giving my uh, tooth slash thyroid um, example. And just as a quick recap, um, I was sharing with people that I had recently gotten thyroid labs back and they were all out of whack, but um, actually found out that I had some problems with tooth 14, which when you look at the traditional meridian charts, we can find that like tooth 14 is related to our thyroid. So um, one of the things I think that we always think of is, you know, you go to the a doctor traditionally and like you say, you have a headache and, you know, maybe they'll recommend migraine medicine. And actually that's a good one because I dealt with migraines for years. And there was always this like, well, we can give you a migraine medicine. But, you know, one thing that always sat in me and that I think that we've learned as functional practitioners is that, um, you know, there might be something behind why why a migraine exists. And I think we always have to ask, like, why? Um, I like to ask why. I'm a little bit annoying about that. So, you know, keep <laughs> asking, you know, keep at that annoying five-year-old kid. Like, be that person that's like, well, why do I have a headache? And, you know, I think we can become our greatest advocates in our health if we keep asking the question why. So if we are always treating the symptom, you know, we might not be – really addressing what's the underlying root cause. And I think that's the approach that we generally take is that we, we as functional practitioners really want to get at like, what's the underlying root cause. So um, I think we touched on maybe before a little bit, you know, our body always wants to be in some level of homeostasis. So some level of balance. And if anything I've learned in my own healing crisis, the body is the most amazing machine that exists in my mind. And it always wants to find balance and healing if we just let it. And so I think sometimes less is more and we have to step back and start to think like, why did it get out of balance in the first place? And by the time it's out of balance, like there's a lot of crap that's gone on to like make it out of balance. So why? So again, what's that why? Yeah. And it's there's a lot of people out there that uh, label themselves as functional. So the way I always try to describe the differences between Western, natural, and functional, because I do believe there's differences between all three, is that the Western is pure allopathic, right? They see a symptom, they treat it with drugs and surgery. Not necessarily a bad thing, just maybe incomplete in certain circumstances. Natural, I find, unfortunately, is very similar to Western. They see a symptom and they're treating it with supplements. Now, maybe that's better than medicine sometimes in terms of the side effects. That's great. But really, 
It doesn't ask that question of why. So functional practitioners, and this is why you see functional practitioners all the time, not hating on medicine. Like the real ones do not hate on Western medicine. They love what they bring and they love what natural medicine brings. They say, use whatever the heck you have to use while you're in the midst of this health crisis. But let's also figure out why you're dealing with it to begin with while you're using those medications or supplements, right? So that we don't need to do that um, ever again. And you're right, we definitely did touch on uh, the tooth thing before, and that's a really cool story. So again, I'd encourage you once more to go back to that radio episode. Is there maybe, I don't wanna keep beating on the topic, but it is so important for people to understand because this is like functional healthcare 101. And if you miss it, it just isn't going to work. Do you have maybe an example from someone you worked with or even yourself just with a different ailment that like asking the why you eventually found out, oh, this is why I'm dealing with this symptom or this is why the client was dealing with this symptom? Yeah. Um, I'll give you an example in one second. I think I just want to touch on one thing you said real quick. So, okay. um, you know, you talked about the Western approach, which, um, and then the versus the natural approach. Um, and we are starting to use terms, I think this white pill versus green pill. And so I'm going to go to migraines as my example. So again, um, I've experienced migraines through most of my younger adult life and um, like very extensive, the, the kind that like you leave you puking in a bathroom at a restaurant because you have a migraine, but you don't want to like disrupt your life. You know, you want to kind of feel somewhat normal, but you know, the, the Western approach would be, you know, here's a migraine medicine, um, take it. That's kind of the white pill approach. Um, and then, but even if you go to some natural practitioners, there's the green pill approach where maybe they're, they would say, you know, take magnesium or take some other supplement that might alleviate your migraines. But again, I like this idea of what's the why. So we still have to step back and understand what's the why. Um, you know, like I said, so I had experienced lots of migraines in my life. Um, they got worse. Um, I know we talked about before when I was living in a moldy environment and mold was a big trigger for me that really just set me over the edge in my health crisis. But, you know, what really came down to it over the years, and I haven't had a migraine, I can't even remember in how long in years, but was really balancing out some um, nutrient and mineral deficiencies and balancing out my hormones and getting everything's kind of working together. The body just needed that boost to do what it needed to do. And as these things resolved, the migraines ended up resolving as well. And mm -hmm. it's interesting, you know, it's just not something I've even thought about um, because um, I addressed, I think, what were some of the underlying root causes and um, imbalances um, it, that existed between, you know, either, again, nutrient or mineral deficiencies there. That's so interesting. And I know this is like off topic to a degree. Did you find that, like, have you done anything with gluten? Have you removed that? And did you find that that helped the migraines at all? Because I am finding overwhelmingly people with chronic migraines seem to benefit greatly uh, from removing gluten. So I don't know if that's just anecdotal or like, have you experienced something similar? Uh, well, that is an interesting question because as part of my journey, I um, am mostly, which for those that know, mostly is not 100% gluten-free. So uh, not a very good advocate there. I will say don't have celiac. So um, mostly gluten-free. So that does help. For me, I think uh, the other two big food triggers, um, and this actually kind of segues into another interesting comment about food sensitivities. But the other two really large triggers for me for migraines were chocolate and wine. 
and mm-hmm. I no longer drink any wine. Um, wine I find, I guess the sulfates are very aggravating and, and create a migraine response. And it's almost funny because I, since I don't drink wine, every now and then if I choose to have a glass, I mean, it's like the a masochistic reminder not to have it, but um, – <laughs> You know, like, you're like, oh, you know, maybe it wasn't really the wine, so I'll have a glass. This is totally normal, by the way, even as a health coach. But, um, you know, I'll have like maybe a glass of red wine, and then I end up in a sneezing, histamine fit for like the next half hour with a migraine the next day. And I'm like, oh, yeah, I'm reminded why I don't drink wine, right? right. Um, same thing kind of with chocolate. You know, I I love my family. We were uh, chocolate fanatics. I love chocolate and I love dark chocolate. Um, and I do a little better with like very, very pure dark chocolate, but I can't do much anymore. So, um, you know, even like the idea of, um, like a hot chocolate every now and then I don't do dairy. So like a, a non-dairy hot chocolate, this sounds very exciting, I'm sure, but, <laughs> and, and non, but it is, it's, it's actually when you adjust your taste buds, it's good, but a non-dairy hot chocolate, you know, that would be my treat. And, but that can no, that's not really a treat anymore because it just creates more problems than it's worth. So long answer to your question. No, no. And that's all good. That's why, again, I kind of like these versions because it's just, I like having more of a conversation style and that's fun. Um, now that's interesting to me that you're, you know, fully dairy free and, um, you know, still sparing with gluten because I feel like most people, it's the opposite, you know, in our space, at least they're like, all right, I will not eat gluten for any reason whatsoever. Um, but you know, I'll allow dairy maybe every now and then as a cheat thing. And Hey, I mean, that's just your body. That's what works. So that's still interesting that you found these food sensitivities related to, um, the migraines and the wine's a huge one. If I do drink, which is very, very rare. Um, I actually love red wine and I will get true organic red wine. And I mean like the USDA certified because even organic, like coming from organic grapes, there can still be all those things added in, but there is some regulation that I'm missing off the top of my mind that when it is USDA organic does not allow, I I guess it probably is, um, the sulfites and stuff. And that, there's just not enough in them that it doesn't really bother me. And it's actually a very nice thing to drink. So I think people underestimate uh, what is in these sugary, you know, boxed wines and those types of things. So I definitely understand how that could cause a reaction. Now, did that, did you ever do anything like the MRT and did chocolate come up? Like, was that an issue for you or just something that you've noticed subjectively? Uh, Both. So I've done over the course of years, numerous elimination diets and, um, maybe more the extreme approach where you actually take everything out over a course of maybe six to eight weeks um, and then add it slowly back in. So at the most extreme, I did an elimination diet that took about six months. And this is when I first really got sick. But to be honest, it was very helpful. So um, there's very few clients I would probably recommend doing that with because it is pretty extreme. But that being said, um, it's really telling when you take everything that is considered, you know, an inflammatory trigger out of your body and then you slow and you let your body heal for a couple of weeks and then slowly start to introduce and realize what's a trigger. I mean, I think even more interesting than the chocolate for me that showed up in that was citrus. So um, one of the things that uh, was a kind of a lingering sy- symptom after mold and Lyme was um a cough. So for people that know me, they know I have my, my consistent cough. And 
Um, of course, nowadays with everything going on in the current environment, you know, people freak if they hear you cough. So I have to remind people <laughs> I've had a cough for well over six years and I don't cough very much now, but I did have a very persistent dry cough for, um, you know, since 2014. And when I really started to dig into it, this was related to GERD and low stomach acid. Of course, there's a whole conversation about that we could have. But really what I found was a huge trigger for me was citrus. So I, unfortunately, you know, living in Florida, we have really great citrus, but um, I do not um, consume any citrus. So the only thing I will have is lime. Lime work seems to work okay for me. But I had to eliminate lemon. And, you know, a lot of people will recommend lemon water as a really good detoxifier, but lemon water is uh, like death for me a little bit. So it will really exacerbate any sort of GERD or cough for me. And I found that out through an elimination. And so, you know, I did this extreme elimination. And one of the things to take out was citrus. And um, it was one of the first things to add back in. But, you know, I add in lemon water and I start sneezing and I start having more acid reflux. And um, so elimination diets can be really beneficial in that way. And when you say the six month elimination diet, I mean, we don't have to get fully into that. I'm not going to drag that on, but I am curious because I've never heard of a six month elimination diet. Like when you say you're removing everything, like what are, what's like month number one of that? Like, how does that even work? Well, so you start with removing everything. So it's, what is it? The seven common things. So gluten, dairy, I'm trying to think here, corn, corn, soy, um, eggs, citrus, there's a couple more in there. So I took all of those out and took a couple of weeks to like let my body calm down. Uh, it was like two or three weeks and then slowly started to add in. The problem is the reason it took so long for me is when you start to add in is if you have a reaction, you have to wait till your body comes back down until you add the next thing in. So that's why it took about six months. I mean, oh, okay. yeah. So that's, that's why the long process. Now, normally what I recommend with clients is if they suspect something, it's just to remove that one thing for like two weeks and then add it in and see. That's a little bit of a more gentler approach. Um, so I took the type A approach to elimination. <laughs> I mean, right? So unsurprising. So, but that being said, yeah, it took about six months in total to kind of add everything back in and see. And, you know, I did... I think one weekend I was desperate and I was like, let me just, you know, I had like dried fruit, which apparently had a, a couple different things going on in there between the citrus, the sulfites, and um, there was something else. And oh, maybe it was the refined sugar. And oh my God, like that sent me back a couple weeks. So I remember that weekend pretty clearly. So, um, you know, and it's crazy. Like we tend to think like, oh, dried fruit, that might be a healthy thing. But when your body's pretty cleared out and clean and then you add something in like that, you're like, wow, I had an immediate inflammation response. Like, you know, you gain the five pounds overnight, your eyes are super swollen, your body feels, you feel the pain. Um, so all of these things come back and you're like, holy mackerel, like I didn't realize dried fruit could be so brutal to my system. Like it just can't handle it and that's fine. So you, you learn. It, yeah, it is pretty remarkable because the healthier that you get, you it's not even that we're reacting so strongly to things that others aren't reacting to. It's just like you realize how bad you feel because when you're walking around every day, 
eating what normal Americans eat and just having the habits that we have, you don't even realize how bad you feel. Um, my last little question, I guess, on this topic is because I always like to hear different people's thought processes on this. Where do you think these food sensitivities are coming from? I know we do have pretty strong like foundations and thoughts about like what's happening in the gut, but I haven't seen anything like 100% definitively to show me exactly why this is happening. So um, with the understanding that maybe everything that you're saying right or about to say is not like 100% peer reviewed, I'm curious, like what do you think causes these different reactions in different people? Yeah, not even 100% peer reviewed, but I also think like I'm talking about my N of one. So for people that do science, okay. my N of one is, you know, like I'm experimenting on myself here. So, um, you know, a lot of it is, is um, our gut health that's been beat up by either environmental toxins, the standard American diet, antibiotics, um, pathogens. So that could be parasites or bacteria or yeast, um, whether we've picked up something from traveling. I mean, there's so many various things there, chemicals from the outside, like glyphosate or whatever. But, mm. you know, I do think that... Um, I, I do want to offer a bit of hope because I don't, it sounds pretty depressing. I think if you think of a like six month elimination diet, but I was talking with a friend the other day and I will say, you know, like with diligent work, I've healed my gut and I can go have like in the past, like if I had a slice of pizza, that would have left me over the toilet for days. Right. Okay. And, but like now, not that I would choose too often because there's still a reaction, but I can have like a slice of pizza and I, and you, you know, you learn to like temper what you can or not do and not react anymore. But I think that's because I've spent so much time working on the healing and doing the work and all of that. Um, and that's a, that has to be a conscious choice too. So there are certain things like, you know, I will choose not to ever eat and that's a choice, right? And there's some mm -hmm. things like, we splurge on and that's a choice too, but, and sometimes there is repercussions. So I think it's just becoming really clear on that and tracking that. I'm a really big believer in tracking. Um, you know, I've met a couple of clients or actually I've had some discovery calls with people that maybe potential clients that don't want to track. And it's like, it's hard for me to help you if you're not willing to track because, you know, things show up a day or a couple of days later that, we wouldn't necessarily expect to show up like citrus fruits, right? It sounds so healthy to have lemon, but um, <laughs> yes, <laughs> you know, but I think that's, that's the reality of the situation. But to answer your question, you know, there's, there are a lot of things that go into disrupting the gut and creating sensitivities. And again, that's why I think like if somebody comes in and they're experiencing bloating with gluten, sure, it's fine to like do an elimination with gluten for a while and to examine why, there might be that bloating, but you know, that, does that mean they're allergic? No, not necessarily. Does that mean they can never eat it again? No, not necessarily. Um, does it mean we have to do some work for sure? Does it mean we have to understand why there's the bloating for sure? But all of that's like a work in process and things that can be experienced over time with a client. Got it. Okay. Yeah. And that's why I like, I asked this similar question about a lot of different topics because I find that mixing a bunch of different people's thought processes or theories behind things helps me kind of form my own. So I appreciate that. Now we're gonna 180 this a little bit guys and definitely not talk about some food sensitivities anymore because you know again with, with the off the air episodes I really like to just go any direction and talk about the things that the guest is super passionate about or knowledgeable about. Now, Christina, I know you're taking, as you said, uh, like a trauma course, and it 
goes into how it affects us as energetic beings. And I'm sure even much more than that, I don't want to put words in your mouth. So I'd love to hear about like what this course entails and what encouraged you to take it. Yeah. So, you know, I tend to, um, I don't know what the right, I'm sure there's a term for it. I tend to kind of follow the, um, little tidbits that show up in life. Um, I think you asked me on the last episode, like how can we become more in touch with our energetic being? And, and this is one of those things, right? So, you know, something will show up in your day. You might see or hear a consistent message. And, um, you know, if you follow that trail, trail, where does it lead you? And, um, this year for me, what I see as the big message for 2020 is it's given us the opportunity to dive deep internally if we chose to do that. And I did choose to do that um, even more so than the past couple of years. So diving deep into some shadow work and healing some past trauma for myself, diving into inner child work um, for people that might be familiar with those terms. But um, so yeah, I was brought to this trauma class. It's a four month mentorship. It just started this last weekend. And oh my God, you know, like I've done a lot of the work, but it was very intense the first day, a lot of feeling and emotion. I had to take a nap after to just regather myself. But what I really got out of it is how much we don't realize how much trauma and this might be unknown trauma impacts us and how that impacts our health. So for example, you know, a lot of conversation came up about how um, you know, we've experienced trauma through either maybe cultural or gender or racial oppression. And we tend to hold that in maybe our breath um, or our stomach so we don't really breathe deeply or we don't express our voice. And this actually ends up showing up in illness. So we have digestive problems. Or we have thyroid problems, you know, in the throat, if you relate to the throat chakra. Or we have heart problems because, you know, we're not expressing our emotions. So maybe this shows up as heart disease or other things. And, you know, I'm really passionate about the role um, of our energetic being and how dis or imbalance, I would say, in our energetic being shows up as a sy symptom and I, this has just really reinforced that idea for me um, of really needing to talk about and heal trauma that we've experienced. And we may not have even experienced directly. So, you know, we, we did an exercise um, where we had to kind of think of the experience of trauma in our life. And I'm um, Irish, German, and Polish by background. And so, you know, we went back to, like, I was born into um, – a traditional, or I was born into an Irish family from generations ago. So you start to think of like, how has trauma shown up for Irish people, um, maybe through famine, and maybe through, um, you know, other like famine and, and other things like that, that have shown up in the culture. But it's interesting, because I see both sides. So like some, t some of the things that have shown up in our family are um, ideas around lack and maybe how that shows up in health, like not wanting to express ourselves or not wanting to be fully seen as a person. But at the same time, I think part of that side of the family, you know, they're really good at entrepreneurship. So here I am talking today, right? Expressing that in my own work I'm trying to do. So it's right. it's finding that the both um, how might have trauma impacted negatively 
your experiences and showing up in your health, but also I think recognizing like the positive side as well, if that makes sense. Yeah, no, it absolutely does. It's just, it's a new ish concept to me and I'm finding it's not so new to many people out there. Like a lot of people knew this intuitively and now there seems to be a lot of science around the epigenetic side of things and how, yeah, we, well, I mean, perhaps epigenetics isn't a hundred percent the right term, although it's involved. I think you know what I mean. Yeah, Uh, for sure. Yeah, there is this generational thing of like, um, we even talked about one time, like my mom dealt with a lot of different things throughout her childhood and teenage years. And it was just very interesting that at five years old, I'm already experiencing full out panic attacks when I mean, I really did have a great life and everyone was stable and happy, like what was going on. Now, of course, there was many biochemical things. And I mean, quite frankly, it was addressing biochemistry that eventually got those symptoms resolved, but it still begs the question, you know, I mean, a panic attack is a pretty interesting thing for really anyone to deal with, in my opinion, let alone um, a five-year-old. So are you, I mean, I know you kind of said this, I just want to be clear. Are you kind of a believer that maybe something that happened, you know, 200 years ago in your ancestry could actually still be affecting you today? Um, like in a, in a health sense, is that correct? Or 100%. I mean, I'm sure if we dove into it and had a conversation, um, together, like we would dive into how maybe familial history, um, intergenerational, whether pa- just the current past generation or many ger- generations ago, how that's showing up in a five-year-old is a panic attack, 100%. Wow. Okay. So what is, I mean, I guess this is the biggest question. We all will have this then to some degree, some groups and cultures were, will uh, certainly have much larger amounts of this, unfortunately how do you even address this? Like what, what do we have to do as individuals to heal from that generational trauma? Yeah, I think that's a really interesting question. And I mean, if I'm going to be honest, I'm just um, diving into understanding this from a collective standpoint and I find it really fascinating. And I think my work will draw me there to do, to contribute more to society for understanding and healing that. But, you know, at first I see that um, just, just sitting in the fact that, you know, a lot of the things that we may be experiencing or feeling are not necessarily our own. And that's really getting in tap too with that energy. So, you know, if you're experiencing a panic panic attack, you know, is that yours? Is, does that belong to you or those feelings of either other people that you're around right now, or those feelings of maybe your ancestors as well? And I think if we start to think of questions like that, it can offer new insights. Um, You know, and it's really interesting because uh, as I share with people, I have to also be mindful that even just having the conversation can trigger some people unknowingly. So, you know, just the idea that you might have experienced or brought in trauma because of the family or the lineage or the culture you were born into, I think that's a pretty heavy question for some people too to deal with. So I think just being mindful and really stepping back and understanding there's a lot of complexity. Like our health isn't just, you know, um, I ate something and I got sick. Well, maybe it would be for food poisoning, but that's maybe not, <laughs> the, that's not maybe not the best example. Maybe my headache isn't just as simple as, you know, I have headaches uh, because of X, Y, Z. Like we have to maybe step back and say like, maybe the headaches are a greater symptomology of a, a much more complex system that we don't really understand. But mm-hmm. I'm hoping that, you know, I, th- I think we're just entering a new wave and I'm hoping that health coaches become more comfortable having this conversation with clients and are referring out to 
um, maybe other practitioners and or that we just become more open to understanding maybe how trauma has impacted us. And what's kind of cool too is, I mean, not to, well, this is going to be another area of expertise, right? This is going to be something that people could probably study for years and you'll develop your own skill in this kind of stuff, right? And that's why I think what I want to see in medicine and healthcare and all sections is this integration of different types of practitioners, maybe all under one roof, if we can, you know, or in the form of centers or retreat centers, like whatever it may be, because I just feel, I mean, I could learn about this. I could take the courses like you are, you know, it's not something that I naturally resonate with or understand. I'm definitely much more uh, facts and you know, all these details. But then again, as you stated in the radio show, I mean, so are you, right? So there's always room to grow there, but it's just going to be so cool to see the people that really understand this just as intuitively and naturally as you and I understand maybe the math and science side of things, and then work with those individuals for a really complete uh, way of dealing with people's health issues. Because nowadays, I mean, most of the stuff that ends up happening, if, if I see someone, or I'm sure if you see someone as well, it's like, we're very honest people. I, I know when I'm out of my scope of practice and when I can't help them or when at the very least, I'm not the only person that can help them. And very often it's that second option there. It's like, sure, I have many things to offer you, but you need to also be going and seeing XYZ person and, and this and that. And again, not to go off topic with that, but I, I want to see this time where people can go somewhere and get the you know, levothyroxine if they need it, but can also learn about something like this. And I think we're still a little far away from that, but it's kind of like you said, I mean, there's a new wave. And I mean, do you think that's where we're moving to in the future? Like are doctors and health coaches out there just going to talk about this stuff? Is that what you think is going to happen? Uh, well, I'm hoping like, I love just hearing you say this because like, for me, I'm a, I've always been a forward visionary and I see like the, the fact that you brought up the idea of having a center where there's you know, multiple practitioners that can serve a client's many needs. I, like, I love that idea. And that's an idea I've had in my mind. And I'm really um, hoping that I can create that in the community I live in, where there's a group of practitioners that work together. I think sometimes, you know, like we get, we need to get out of our, um, the idea of that we're competing because it's not competing at all. It's offering complementary services that can really elevate um, a client to a different level of healing. And I think if we view it as, you know, all of these people coming together to create exponential healing versus just maybe some uniform linear healing path for just by seeing one practitioner, I mean, to me, that's an ideal wave of the future. So hopefully we can get there sooner than later. Yeah, it's, <laughs> it's funny that you said that you've had the thought about the center. I don't know what that means from a kind of spiritual or collective consciousness perspective. But ev I mean, it's like literally, I I'm not exaggerating, more than 75% of the people that I know that are in this space, not as necessarily as health coaches, but just healers in one way or another, it seems that they've all pondered that idea like in their minds. And I just sometimes wonder, I'm like, is this the future? Is this because right now, I think we're in a weird time. Um, I think everyone can feel that. You don't necessarily have to be a spiritual person to understand, wow, there's some very strange stuff going on um, in many different areas. And we're kind of opening up and exposing a lot of the junk. And it's coming out, and it hurts. And it's emotionally draining. Uh, it's very intense. After that, someone's going to need to come around and pick up 
the rubble. And I don't think it's going to be just one person. I think it's going to be millions of individuals um, who, you know, for whatever everyone's respective beliefs are, you could say come here or, uh, you know, just happen to be here. I'm not sure, but <laughs> I have my beliefs for uh, certain, you know, to come here and help heal uh, that damage afterwards. And maybe that will look like all these different centers around the country and world, or just like groups of people getting together so that people really can address their health at all different angles. I mean, um, when you think of your you know center that you love to do in your community, like what kind of different practitioners would you have in there? Do you think? Huh. Oh, this is like a loaded question. So for <laughs> anybody out there that wants to support somebody that wants to work in philanthropy, just saying, um, yeah, I, it's funny you say this because I've had this, I, I've been actually working on manifesting this, like, let me win the lottery or some philanthropical money to actually create a center. And um, part of it, there's a couple of things. So one, obviously, just from my own experience with mold, I'm very passionate about a creating a safe environment. Um, we don't, we underestimate, I think, how important a healthy environment is to work and live in. And especially those of us that dealt with mold, um, you know, there's not many safe places. So um, for me, a community would include a safe environment. So maybe like a dormitory or a living space that was very clean living for somebody to heal in. So that's one thing. But you know, there's, so there's um, obviously traditional doctors that I think would be needed. I think there's, um, you know, meditation, yoga, coaches, people that can touch into some of this trauma healing, um, nutrition. Obviously, I'm really passionate about food and nutrition, teaching people to learn to eat healthy, um, diving into creativity. I think we underestimate actually creativity, and it's actually really sad to me that we've seen a lot of programs taken away in schools around art and music um, where we're not really tapping into that source of creativity for ourselves. Um, yeah, so, I mean, gosh, yeah, massage, yoga, creativity, arts and music, you know, healthy living, healthy eating. Um, I could probably think of all kinds of things I would love in this center. So, yeah, I mean, I kind of trapped you there because the reason I asked is because in my head, I'm like, all right, how do I fit like 50 people into this thing somehow? <laughs> so, yeah, they're all there because they all bring their own respective uh expertise. And I love that you talk about traditional doctors. I mean, I just, I say this all the time. So I apologize to anyone who listens to the show frequently, because it just it sounds like a broken record. I'm just so tired of the stereotype from the world. And even from our practitioners, fellow practitioners of, you know, kind of functional side of things that we don't like Western medicine. It's like, dude, come on, you know, yeah. we just need it integrated correctly, just like we need us integrated correctly, right? We're si sitting here saying that we don't have all the answers. We need all these other people. So why don't they, you know, that, that's, there's a lot of things going on in today's world. The health issues are very complex and multifaceted, and most people are going to need um, a lot of this stuff addressed from different angles. And that kind of segues perfectly into this other statement that you had made that I thought was super interesting, and that's health like doesn't really have an end point. It's never over. Because to someone hearing this, that's what might it might sound like. We're talking about all these different practitioners and centers and all this stuff. It's like, does this ever end? And it doesn't, but that's not a bad thing. So when you were saying that to me earlier, I mean, what does that, like, why doesn't health ever end? Like, why is there no end point? Because some people might wonder that. Yeah. I think it's interesting because you brought it up on our last show when we were talking about, you know, when I brought up my tooth thing and you made a comment about, um, 
you know, it's interesting that you, you're dealing with things. And it, what it, it triggered in my mind a conversation I had had with a client because um, I'm also still dealing with um, getting my hormones to a nice balance. And when I was sharing with her this experience with working on my hormones, she paused and um, like sometimes I say things and I just don't think they're a big deal, but it's interesting how sometimes clients can even reflect back to you some pretty f- profound comments. And she said, oh my gosh, you know, that makes me feel so good to know that you're still dealing with things, which kind of took me back a little because I'm like, why wouldn't I still be doing things like dealing with things? You know, I'm a human being and we're never not always perfect, um, which actually could draw me into the segue of preventative medicine, but that's another topic. But, um, you know, we're always working on things. And I think like this idea, and I've heard a lot of people I think this kind of also ties into our conversation about symptoms. So we tend to think like, I have a symptom, I'll treat the symptom, everything will go away. No, it's a mindset where we have to think of like living and being healthy and being vibrant or thriving, whatever the term is, you have to understand what that means for you personally, you know, as a listener, but you know, what does health mean to you individually? And that is always a continuous process. It's never ending. So um, to me, health is a more of a mindset than maybe a specific symptom or not. So, you know, and and I also think it makes it a little easier to deal with. Um, like, I hate the word diet. I actually kind of hate the word exercise because those sometimes can be really self-limiting. And we kind of constrain like, well, if I do a diet, then I'll lose 10 pounds and everything will be fine. Well, that that's to me seems really constraining. And so I think if we start to think of, no, my mindset is I will choose to eat healthy for whatever that means for me. And that helps me obtain a certain level of wellness. And um, I guess I've kind of adopted an 80-20 rule. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, as I went through my own healing crisis, there was a point where I was trying to do everything perfect 100%, like, you know, 100% of following the diet, 100% of avoidance for mold, 100% of this. Well, I actually developed really um, unhealthy habits around that. There's a term for it. I forget what it's called right now. Orthorexia maybe or something. But um, Yeah, yeah, I mean, that's... Is that uh, what it's called? I was just talking to a friend about this the other day. And at the time of this recording, it might not make sense when this episode is released, but the person who is about to be on the radio show next week, uh, she's going to be speaking about that. I never even knew. I thought it was clinical until we just had this conversation. Apparently, it is known and they're trying to add it to the DSM. But no, orthorexia is this obsession with you know, healthy food and a huge amount of anxiety being uh, coming out when you can't get access to healthy food. And my question to her was like, yeah, well, what the hell is the difference between that and what I do? Because I have real symptoms. You know, I can see this on my face. I do break out. I do get a headache. So what is the difference between that um, and, you know, really just being healthy? And it sounds like maybe I, I don't, from what you're saying, like almost like you transitioned from what would be called like orthorexic into actually truly healthy, correct? Well, yeah, but I think, um, yeah, I, I mean, I would say that, you know, of course, this is me like looking at myself, but um, to me, it's about choosing balance and harmony. So those are really key words for me in my life. Those are things that I value greatly. So for me, balance and harmony is a, is a big value. So 100% perfect health created very unhealthy, this orthorexia habits, like so this obsession with food or this obsession with living in a clean environment. But that 
um, created a different kind of illness. It was almost like a pendulum swinging. And there was this point where I'm like, wait, I have to work on understanding like if I'm doing um, healthy things 80% of the time and I'm minding my body. And of course, you know, when I was really sick, it was more like 95% and then 90% and then 85%. And I would probably never go below that, you know, like, but that gets me to a good place. Now, are there still some things I have to deal with? Yes. But does it create a nice balance in my life where I'm not um, creating other bad habits? Yes. So I think we have to get really in touch with ourselves. And again, I think this is where getting in touch with energy is helpful because I know myself well enough to know um, when I'm starting to feel a little off balance and I can make the adjustments that I need to do. But, um, you know, it's, it's really getting in touch and finding that right balance for yourself so that you're living um, what you would, what to you would, you would consider a vibrant, um, thriving life, but not in a way that's coming from an unhealthy place. And hopefully that makes sense for listeners. Um, this is a conversation I've had with a number of friends that are going through their own healing crisis. And I think, you know, we all kind of go through this pendulum swing where like we're sick and then we're like, oh, hundred percent compliance to some very extreme standard. And then we come back a little because we realize like that's not sustainable either. And that creates illness in a different kind of way. And so the 80, 20 rule is actually a pretty good rule. I think, um, you know, and I actually find clients to be much more compliant with that mindset, compliant with that mindset, if that makes mm-hmm. sense. So, yeah. And well, I love what you even said about the 95 5 temporarily, because there is a time if we are chronically ill that, yeah, guys, we're going to have to, you know, ramp it up a little bit. And that's not because you're bad or anything like that. It's not a punishment. But, but we've unintentionally or maybe intentionally have been doing things wrong for years or even decades of our lives and our bodies are suffering because of it. So yeah, we do need to make up for lost time and then we can eventually move away from that. It's only, I mean, really what you're saying, to be honest, um, I'll always be transparent is a realization that's only come to me somewhat recently. I mean, last year or so where I was always known as someone, you know, my parents would always say like, it's just cool that I could once I learned new information about the health space, bam, turned it on and I could just discipline myself and I could maintain that for very long periods of time. I cut out sugar, did that for six months, like no problem, was able to do this. And everyone though, no matter how we're naturally wired, because I don't brag about stuff like that. I think there is a natural wiring that allows certain people to do that easier than not. And I think from what I've studied um, with kind of the neurochemistry or science behind that, there really is stuff that shows some people have an ability to kind of turn on more willpower than others. But everyone has a limit and the tank eventually empties out. And I had that thing that you're talking about. You can't go 100% forever. And the irony is, I almost felt like I my body was doing better or I was less stressed when I finally just gave in. I was like, you know what? I'm going out. It's Christmas Eve. I'm going to have a great time with my family. I'm going to do some things that I would probably consider stupid. And I almost feel better the following week because I allowed that balance into my life. So I've become a lot more conscious of that now. Um, For me, my vice is like dark chocolate. And I have that very frequently. (laughs) You know, It's organic dark chocolate. I know it doesn't sit well perfectly, but it's a good balance for me. It's not like eating gluten, which absolutely destroys me, but it also is a very fun thing. I enjoy it. Um, And thankfully, uh, I don't get migraines like you do or whatever. So it's a nice middle ground for me. I mean, where where you have this 20% and the 80-20, I mean, what are some things that you allow into your life that maybe you wouldn't have when you were doing the 95-5 type of thing? 
I mean, this week is a little bit of an example. You know, I have a lot of, (laughs) I have a lot of things going on. So for me, a lot of it has to do with um, self care. Uh, You know, I had yesterday was Sunday, I worked a 12 hour day, I'm on about a 12 hour day today, and we'll have another one tomorrow, just because of some obligations I took on. And that's a lot of time, but, um, and a lot of stress with work. But you know, I am setting time aside to take, you know, Wednesday, half a Wednesday and all of Thursday off and do some self-care. So whether that's a massage or, I mean, even after a 12-hour day, taking a bath. So, you know, I can go into the day knowing, okay, this is going to be a long day, but, you know, maybe I'm more conscious about making sure I get enough water or eating really good food for the day to fuel me through that day. Um, You know, I like for me, exercise is super important. Um, so unfortunately, these couple days won't uh, include exercise. But the first thing I'm doing, you know, Wednesday morning is will probably be a couple hours while outside walking, getting sunshine and fresh air and just replenishing my body. So there are choices that you make. Um, you know, I like to travel. So before everything happened this year, of course, you know, um, doing a lot of travel can wreak havoc on your body, but there were choices around that. So what does a travel day look like to me? So maybe the travel day is hard, but I'm complementing it with lots of water or massage or rest or good music or other things that fuel my soul and feed my creativity and replenish me. So I think it just kind of depends. Um, you know, like maybe even a late weekend, like, you know, there was a time in the past where I had to stop going out, you know, on a Saturday night late, like 10 p.m. was beyond ridiculously late and would set me back the next day if friends or um, I was married at the time, you know, my ex wanted to go out. And so, but now, you know, I can go out to one or two in the morning and, um, you know, have a fun night and not even worry about it the next day. And so, but again, it's a choice. Would I do that every night of the week? No, that would not be good. But, you know, I can go out and enjoy, you know, a Friday or Saturday night out late with friends and um, it not impact me anymore. So I now, see I got to start coaching with you or something, because if I do past 10 p.m. still to this day, even if it's not, you know, going out like that, I, I just don't have it. Oh. <laughs> I'm, I'm 25. I try to get to bed on time. Now, I also spent the majority of my teenage years staying up till like 1 to 4 a.m. without exaggeration. I just never slept. So uh, perhaps I, I, I can't cheat on that as much. But uh, no, that affects me instantly still. So that's kind of cool that you've been able to bring it back and uh, can have that. Because you know what I find? I, I want to say ironically, but I guess it's not. It's just like I'm not always – I never really liked doing that type of stuff anyway. Um, not that it's bad. It just doesn't make me comfortable. I don't like the bar scene. I don't really like uh, going out in a lot of ways. But that's one of like the biggest goals of many of the people I talk to is they just want to be able to do that stuff. And if you can let them have that, uh, they'll do most other things, but they want that balance for sure. So um, that's kind of cool that you've been able to uh, get there and do that. And just to go back to the original point, because I started kind of asking some side questions and I want to make sure it was clear because Christina made a great point. When we're talking about health has no ending, it's kind of equatable, I think, to like personal development. It's like, well, when have you gotten to the point as a human being where you've grown fully? Yes. Okay. Well, (laughs) you know, never like you constantly work on that. You enjoy the process along the way because you can't stress yourself out and like be like, oh, I have to be this. Well, okay, that's a never ending thing, right? There's always going to be a next thing. So you enjoy the process while still saying, all right, I am going to get better. And I think health is pretty um, equatable to that. So 
Whew. I would add it to like personal yeah. growth. So I've been doing a, a, another coaching class, but uh, you know, we were talking about values in there and I know one of my own personal values is personal growth. So when you're talking there, it reminds me of that, you know, like personal health, I would qu- equate in that sense to personal growth. So it's always an evolutionary process. Yeah, for sure. For sure. Yeah. So I think for today, I mean, I kind of have uh, three little things. <laughs> so number one to kind of slowly wrap up is, do you think we missed anything today? Is there any other topic or subject you'd love to just share with people right now? And of course, we can always have you on again in the future if something comes up. But is there anything at all that we didn't really get to cover yet? You know, like, it's interesting, this conversation, I will say, I think sometimes when you're going through a health crisis, you don't have fun. Mm -hmm. Would you agree with that? I would definitely not consider my life mo- uh, much fun during those times. So uh, yeah, yeah, I agree. yeah. So I just actually, this just came, popped into my head. So, I mean, I think we have to find a way. Um, <laughs> this is probably not appropriate, so you can edit this out. We need to have, find a way to have fun in our healing crisis, right? So, you know, there was a time when my digestive system was not very friendly to me in public places. I'll just, mm-hmm. Hopefully people can draw the image there. And um, I was married at this time and my ex has seen me having not very good digestive experiences in public places. And, you know, it kind of became a joke between us. And so like you ha- kind of had to laugh at it because it, it's not like if you think about it, you're just going to get really sad and depressed that like you had to have um, like a bathroom experience in a very public place. And, you know, if you don't laugh about it, you're just going to cry about it, right? So it's, mm-hmm. I think it's about finding f- fun or at least humor. Um, you know, I did some comedy through the process, through when I, the same time when I was going through my own healing crisis. And I think that kind of alleviated some of the, the pain and the sadness is just making jokes about it, right? So I think I- have fun. You are um, very respectable and very professional if you think that's, you know, too inappropriate that we, we have to. I was trying to be nice. <laughs> yeah, there's definitely. Well, what? I mean, it's real, right? There's a difference between like being, uh, you know, using profanity and doing stuff like that that's unnecessary versus just like that's a real experience that you had. And unfortunately, um, I've seen many people deal with that. Actually, like looking back as a kid, that's when I had those types of issues, like even in like first and second grade. And you almost write it off to, oh, he's a kid. That's why he's doing this stuff. But like looking back on the health issues that I had, it really was, I just couldn't control um, the bowel movements. And I always, oh my God, one of the funniest things, and I I never thought I'd put this on a podcast. (laughs) When I was about eight or nine years old, and it's still in the house to this day. My parents had to buy a special larger toilet for like the upstairs bath. Nothing that you would notice, but it was just like purposely much stronger than the one that we had because at eight years old, every single day I would clog the toilet and uh, just use yeah. the bathroom and no one ever connected. And it's not, you know, my parents aren't in the health space. They never thought about this. And the doctor certainly didn't say anything, unfortunately, but no one ever said, Hey guys, wait a second. Why is an eight year old able to consistently clog the toilet on a daily basis, you know, like what's going on in this kid's gut. And, you know, years later we find out malabsorption issues, all these different types of things. So, um, I appreciate your transparency with that. And I think it happens to a lot more people, um, than anyone wants to admit. And we don't, I guess we can admit it because no one shares it. So 
all these other people that are dealing with it don't realize that it's happening to many people. I mean, like, I'm sure you've seen similar things with clients, right? They've at least had to tell you something similar. Oh, yeah, of course. Maybe not with digestive issues, but with other issues. I mean, you know, maybe it's um, with anxiety and having, which is a very real thing. I mean, I've had this experience myself as well, but having a meltdown out in a public space just because, you know, something triggered you and, um, you know, that's a very real, you know, and it it feels embarrassing at the time and it feels traumatic. And then, you know, you have to work through that too, but also understand again, this goes back to the why. So why, you know, what's going on that creates the anxiety, you know? Sure. All right. So that was uh, number one out of three in my very slow wrap up here. (laughs) Number two, and this is something I literally just started doing because I had uh, someone named Justine Altman on the podcast the other day for the off the air episode. And she is a functional diagnostic nutrition practitioner. So she's familiar with lab work. She uses these things. Now, I know at the time of our recording right now, you're still finishing up very close, but uh, still finishing up your certification. But you're also in mentorship programs under Brennan Vermeyer. Shout out to uh, you, Brennan. And I know you're no stranger to the functional lab testing side of things. So one of the questions I want to keep asking functional practitioners that come on is like, what is your favorite lab uh, to use, whether it's bit on yourself or for clients? And why is it your favorite lab? Like if you could only, I, I think I wrote it this way with Justine, if you could only use one for the rest of your life, what would you use? Oh my God, Brendan is going to be so happy. Um, I would say, well, I guess it's kind of two, the CBC and CMP. Okay. <laughs> and for those that are unfamiliar with that, what is uh, what are those things? A uh, complete blood count and the complete metabolic, metabolic profile. Mm-hmm. And these so- are just our basic blood tests. So, you know, like you don't ever have to like convince your doctor to do a CBC or CMP for you. Um, and, and I think, you know, Brendan definitely is much more articulate about this. But for me, these are just really basic labs that give us that from a functional perspective, when you start to learn them can give you a really good picture of um, very easy things we can start to address in the body. I mean, one of the I would say probably the thing that I see the most is for people is hydration issues. Like most of us aren't hydrated enough, right? So, Mm -hmm. um, you know, I can see that in a, in a CBC CMP profile, you know, just some other things too, like we could dive way deeper. And um, again, Brendan's much more articulate in this, but um, those would be my favorite. I mean, from a couple perspectives, um, use ease of use at the initial stages of working with a client and also just cost. You know, I think we have to be, I know he talks about this a lot as well, but we have to be mindful of cost and just, you know, getting, are we having cli- clients run out and just do a whole bunch of tests that maybe they don't need to do right away? Yeah, it is so funny. And I mean, I guess it's not that coincidental considering we've, you know, kind of been under that same mentorship program. Um, but when Justine answered the other day, she did. Oh. Well, she said it was she kind of really didn't give a straight answer. And I don't blame her because it's very hard to pick just one. Um, but she went more in the, you know, kind of stool testing route, um, but also mentioned this idea of the blood work. And she's not as affiliated with Brendan by any means. And it really shocked me when he said, uh, you know, guys, you got to remember blood chemistry is the most scientifically validated uh, yeah. labs that we have. I'm like, I never even thought about that. And I never thought about it from the functional perspective. So I ended up, I just started going through FDN's advanced blood chemistry course. Obviously we have Brendan's four hour lecture um, from the workshop, but of course 
that's something you, you can't just start with that, right? Like I need a basic understanding before I can even try to digest uh, what the hell that guy's talking about because he's just he takes it to such another level. It's it's incredible. Um, so that's very cool and very encouraging for people, I think, to hear that such a simple well, simple lab that again, you can get usually insurance is going to cover that and maybe you'll pay 10 bucks or something. That's very cool to know that we're kind of moving in that direction. Um, I think a lot of people that I had been watching, but I didn't understand why are going to the blood work more and more. And I mean, how encouraging for the clients to know that they can come work with a functional uh, practitioner and not have to spend, you know, a thousand dollars worth of labs that the practitioner made no money off of. So they still have to pay the personal fees, right? I mean, that's, it's tough for people. Yeah. Um, yeah. I also think it goes back to a conversation we had a little bit earlier um, in our talking today, which is, you know, we're not, well, some people might be, I am not, I know you are not against Western medicine. And one of my goals is to create some really awesome liaison, liaison partnerships with, you know, doctors in my community and work with them to help be, uh, you know, a behavioral change advocate and support for their, their clients. That would be hopefully my clients as well. But, you know, so these are, if we're going to share a common language, we can share a common language with the CBC and the CMP. Um, sharing a common language with maybe an O test is not as easy, right? So, <laughs> No, it is not. Um, and Actually, that's a really great perspective because I never thought about it. This is where we can meet in uh, – you know, the middle. I mean, yeah. That, and they can understand what we're talking about at least, right? They might not always think about the same connections that we're making, but they can at least understand it. So that's pretty cool. All right. Well, that's two out of three. And then three out of three. Uh, I love how these are all completely unconnected. That's why this is fun. Uh, but number three is, I know you had mentioned before this call, and we never talked about what it was, that, you know, you are someone who obviously has gotten pretty deep into spirituality um, in your life, even not having started out that way. And I, you know, I don't even want to try to explain this because I've never done this myself. I know that you drew an Oracle card and it means something to you. So could you explain to the listeners what it is that you actually did, like what these cards are and maybe what that interpretation was that you got from that draw? Sure. So, um, you know, I know we did talk about this on our last one. I grew up, um, a, a pretty devout atheist as a child and, um, you know, I'm a scientist. I consider my scientist, myself a scientist by background. I was a math major, um, you know, very analytical, got into spirituality through my own health crisis and really dove into, you know, my own skills and abilities. And I'm getting more comfortable with just expressing this, but in touching into the spiritual realm. But I did that a lot through uh, tarot and oracle, which might be a little woo-woo for some people, but um, it's always surprising to me, I, it just never ceases to amaze me the beautiful messages I receive. And I was like, you know, I'm getting on this call today to do this podcast. What message does spirit want me to share? And I just was like, let me pull some cards and see what shows up. So I pulled two and one was really simple. It says, get creative and excite your imagination with wonder. And I like this one because this touches on what we were talking about earlier about just having some fun and touching into our creativity. And also, I just feel like we've lost touch with this idea of excite your imagination with wonder, right? Like have fun, um, see what, what excites you. But this other card was really touching for me. So um, I pulled this card. It's from a Whispers of Healing guidebook. Um, so, you know, healing related. Uh, the card is Strength which in and of itself is really profound, I think. Um, and also I'm into numerology, uh, being a math major. So 
Uh, the number was 46, which is a 10, which usually represents endings, but a 10 breaks down to a one, which is also new beginnings. So I loved just the number aspect of it. But it says here that unexpected change can leave you feeling unstable, anxious, and unclear of what to do next or what is most important right now. And when I read this line, I was like, wow, that's a perfect line for 2020. This mm-hmm. is a normal human response to reclaim your life and tap into your wisdom, connect to the strength of your heart and mind. And again, as I read this, I'm like, to me, this has been the message for 2020, right? There's all kinds of instability and, and kind of unexpected change, but it's really calling us to tap into our source and our strength and really go within. And so it says, goes on to say, inner strength is the resilient certainty that comes forth when you believe in yourself. Your strength shows up in different ways, such as willpower, positive attitude, trust, trust, and self-reliance. Um, well, that's beautiful, though. I mean, I don't... Isn't it? You said, like, it could be woo-woo. I mean, I think you have a very practical way of saying what you just said. I mean, there was nothing that I interpreted, like, weird about that at all. That was great. No, and I just love it. So um, the the animal on this is the tiger. So if you're into spirit animals, you could always look up what um, the tiger spirit animal means, which is pretty interesting. Um, and, but I thought this was good, too, especially for the week of Thanksgiving, um, which is when we're talking. But... It says, affirm your spiritual values, spend time out in nature, do something to nurture yourself, take time away from your work. What you feed your mind, either knowingly or unknowingly, impacts on how you connect to others, to the world, and to yourself. And so I guess the message I would take away is spend some time away um, from maybe work, social media, other things this week, dive within, be grateful, spend time with your family get in touch with yourself and with nature and just reconnect, which is, I think, a really powerful way to end this year. So that would be the takeaway. Awesome. All right. Well, thank you so much once again for hopping on. And just because I, you know, obviously different types of people are going to be listening to this podcast, where can they find you if they were like, wow, like, I love this woman. I'd love to work with her and know more about what she does. Like, what's the best place they could find you? Uh, the best way to reach me is by email. So you can reach me at Christina. It's with a K, K-R-I-S-T-I-N-A, at Agile Wellness Solutions. And yes, there's three S's in there, dot com. And uh, that would be the best way for now to reach me. I'm working on my website. So it should be up and going pretty soon, which would be AgileWellnessSolutions.com. All right. Well, thank you guys so much for listening to another episode of the Health Coach Ev Show off the air. Remember, you can stream us live on our radio show every Wednesday, 10 a.m. Eastern Time to 11 a.m. Eastern Time. And if you're not in the greater Philadelphia area and you can't turn on WWDB 860 on the AM dial, then you can simply go to WWDBAM.com. Right at the bottom there, there is a place where you can stream. They also have an app that you can download. But of course, all those episodes are actually saved live on our podcast. So You'll see them because they're not marked with the um, OTA, which is off the air for us. So those are the episodes that are live. Check them out. And as always, uh, please, 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 please leave us a review on iTunes. Those are super helpful. Even if you just do the five stars thing and you don't end up writing any comments, all good for me. But we are looking forward to seeing you again next time. And thanks again for tuning in.